0: Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where dead or alive, you're coming with me. Creep. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm here with Steve. I am the law. (laughs) Don't wait, wrong movie. Review Dude Josh. Say hello. Stay out of trouble, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I didn't prepare you guys, but you you come in with the quotes. I appreciate that. Right. Thank you for playing along. <laughs> Thank you all for playing. Yes. <laughs> We're here to talk about RoboCop 2, a 1990 movie directed mm-hmm. by Irvin Kershner, the man that directed the greatest Star Wars movie of all time, Empire Strikes Back, The Legend. Facts. Mm. But to take a step back, this movie came out in 1990, like I said. So I just wanted to ask you guys real quick, like what your favorite movie of 1990 is, because there's some good shit. Josh, what's your answer?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. When you asked me that, I was like, oh, sure. No no problem. Then I looked at 1990. What a fucking stacked year for movies. Mm -hmm. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. So uh, I feel like the correct answer is obviously Troll 2, though. (laughs) Oh, that's a good pick. I mean, I can't argue with you. Oh my God! I do like that movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I, what name a more iconic movie. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, Troll
0: 2 is awesome. It's hilarious. For those that don't know, Troll 2 was a movie directed intentionally to be a horror movie but ended up being one of those so bad it's good movies like The Room it was like the original The Room
1: yeah before it was cool
0: you have to watch it it's it's insane Troll 2 is is an insane mess but before we go to you Steve I'm going to give my answer real quick because mine's nice and easy it's a movie that I've talked about a lot on this podcast that I've talked about a lot on Spoilers podcast Debbie Does Dallas but that's a good one too (laughs) This is another podcast I do it's the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Mm. I fucking love that movie. That movie hits on all fronts for me. It's actually just been that movie. I knew that was coming. 30th anniversary just came for that one. So yeah. that movie is very near and dear to my heart. Hopefully one day we can do like a, a love episode on that one about yeah. how much we love that movie because it's great. Steve, I'm, what's your very long-winded answer going to be?
2: Right, thank you. Um, no, I, I, I guess I can't. I can't really. I give you one. I don't think because I mean, to Josh's point, 1999. This is just. This is just a taste. I just wrote down the ones I thought were the biggest taste, just as a reminder. The original version of uh, uh, The Witches, Goodfellas, Misery, Edward Scissorhands, Jacob's Ladder, Dances with Wolves, Total Recall, Hunt for Red October, Tales from the Dark Side, Arachnophobia, Miller's Crossing, the original Dark Man, Nightbreed, Dick Tracy, Kindergarten Cop, the original Tremors, TMNT, Gremlins 2, Back to the Future 3, and not a movie admittedly a lot of Americans have seen, but Luc Besson's early film uh, La Femme Nikita came out the same year. I don't even know how to pick from that I list. I mean,
1: I noticed you didn't say The Adventures of Ford Fairlane starring
2: Andrew <laughs> Dice Clay. Well, I mean, because it's just such an obvious, you know, that that could be anyone's I mean, yeah, favorite. yeah, it's so obvious. like, right? it. it,
0: Like, it's so good,
2: it's beyond even mentioning. Yeah, I mean, we don't even need to talk about it. It's just one of those, like, God-tier movies. It's Andrew Dice Clay's finest film. I mean, that really is saying something, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Was that a Renny Harlan film? I think it was. It was. was. It was. Boy, how did Gina Davis stay married to that guy? <laughs> but uh <laughs> I mean, if I were really backed into a corner, and I genuinely love, love a lot of these, I might pick Dick Tracy. It's just so special. I will never not love that movie. It looks perfect. Aesthetically speaking, it's one of the greatest adaptations of a comic ever produced. So. It yeah. has a
0: very unique style. Yeah. And a very unique mark in cinematic history. It, but it's an outcast movie. It is. People forget about this movie, and people forget about its cultural impact. It's not brought up in the same way Ninja Turtles is.
2: No, no, and it, it, I think it should be more. And man, they Warren Beatty basically helmed that entire project himself, more or less, and did a wonderful job. He tried to get a sequel going and couldn't. If I could go back in time with fifty million bucks and make that sequel, I would. I'd be pretty tempted. Although I would also be tempted to um hijack this production and and um maybe fix the few things I don't like about <laughs> it. But you know.
1: You wouldn't have fixed Ford
0: Fairlane (laughs) 2? You talked about some of these movies already, but in June of 1990, when RoboCop 2 came out, around the time of this movie's release, there were some other movies that were out. So I'm going to tell you guys some movies that were all in theaters potentially at the same time. This is pretty impressive. Back to the Future 3, The Outsiders, Gremlins 2, Die Hard 2, Ghost, Problem Child, robocop 2 and uh probably the best one on the list ghost dad those movies were potentially all in theaters at the same time
2: among that list the films that i actually saw in theaters as a kid i definitely saw all of them within like two or three weeks of each other something like that yeah it's pretty trippy it is
1: yeah what a yeah this year was super stacked with movies iconic movies that are talked about to this day
2: People talk about the mid to late '80s and early '90s like it was devoid of of film and cult or film and music that was worth mentioning, and I always find that so offensive intellectually. I mean, I'm partial to that era anyway. I was growing up during that era, but yeah, when you look at what was really coming out. And you look at the impact, even if you don't like it, even though it's not as relevant today, like the impact in new wave music during the late 80s and early 90s and blah, 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 like that. Yeah. it's a whole bunch of stuff here that's just like, wow, that really was a a much bigger deal than is ever given credit to to Corey's point about Dick Tracy. And this movie, Robocop 2, we're doing
0: based on actually a fan request. This was requested by Nightwolf88 on YouTube. So before we start talking about the pre-production and all that stuff, I want to say thank you, Nightwolf88, for yeah, requesting this. Good request. Thank you for teaching me my animality. <laughs> oh, you stole my joke, you son of a bitch!
1: Oh, <laughs> how does it feel, Corey?
0: <laughs> how does it fucking feel? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say thank you for teaching Luke King how to feel his animality. Feel his animality. Oh, <laughs> feel your shit. animality. Your animality. Your animality.
1: Your animality. Oh.
0: This listener, Nightwolf88, is better than the Nightwolf in Mortal Kombat
1: Annihilation. I can guarantee <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. I can absolutely. guarantee he's a more accurate version. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Having never met you, I can almost guarantee it, sir. <laughs>
2: huh. Steve, mm. RoboCop 2. Yes. How the hell was this movie made? Um, with a lot of difficulty. Um. <laughs> Orion was really, and I mean this sincerely, Orion was an amazing studio, and they did a lot for the business. They produced a lot of really incredible movies, a lot of stuff that was nominated for, and even in some cases won Academy Awards. One of the best things about the studio was that they were willing to take risks on on arty movies and small productions and weird stuff. It was also, unfortunately, one of their greatest weaknesses, because it resulted in both some movies that turned out to be amazing and got nominated for awards, as well as some other movies that just turned out not to be very good and lost a lot of money. Because of that, by the late 80s, Orion was having financial problems already. And Robocop, the original, had been a surprise financial success for them. Obviously, they'd always wanted it to make money, but it had it ended up grossing domestically something like $50 million just in the U.S. And in, in 87, 88, that was still a lot of money, especially for what was essentially looked at as being a, a sort of a B-grade production. Right. And Orion's executives at this point were trying to... Stave off what looked like inevitable bankruptcy. And so, in order to help do that, they just immediately greenlit a sequel to Robocop. I mean, I don't, I don't think that they were even finished with the theatrical run of the first one when the executives made the decision to do the second one. But because of the studio's precarious financial situation, the executives probably in conjunction with the, com- the studio's accountants. Decided that they really, 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 really needed to have the movie out by a specific date that was like nine months away. And yeah, that's a very, very difficult time frame, even for a small production, let alone something that's going to require weeks worth of post-effects work and modeling and blah, 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 blah. And um, this movie had a bigger budget than the first one, which meant they were, they were trying to up the ante to begin with. So... Orion went back to Michael Newmeyer and uh, Michael uh, Miner, who I talked about in the podcast the first one.
0: Writers, right?
2: Writers, yeah. Producers slash writers and some other things as well. And they, they'd created the characters in the world for the original Robocop through a combination of ideas that two of them had had independently. And um, the studio Orion went back to them and to Verhoeven initially. And Verhoeven said, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do a sequel, but I'd have to really like the script, and I'd have to feel like it was touching on new ground, and let's see what you come up with. And so it was left in the air for a while, and Newmeyer and Miner started on a script. The studio didn't really like where they were going with their first draft, and Miner and Newmeyer kept saying, there's just no way we can have a full script that you'll like by the deadline you've got for us. And then Verhoeven went on to production on Total Recall, which meant it was going to be probably a year before he was available again. And um, the studio said, fuck this, we're moving on. Like, not from the movie, but just for, for other people. We're going to we're gonna find someone who can make this happen.
0: You mean they're moving on from Verhoeven?
2: Yeah, from Verhoeven and from Minor and from Newmyer as well, which is a, a big sore point for them. I don't know a lot about the idea they had. They never got past a really rough draft, but I know that one of the drafts that was proposed early on... Involved Robocop basically getting blown to shit literally in the first scene of the film, and that they would then transition to a point 25 years in the future where bits and pieces of him were being kept in a storage facility and he was going to be resurrected for one thing or another. I've heard different versions of where the story was going to go from there, but
0: okay, quick interruption here. Yeah, so I'd like to imagine he's in the Indiana Jones warehouse, right? But he's magnetized. So all they got to do is follow the trail of floating magnet debris. <laughs> that would be great.
1: Oh, no, are you talking about Indiana Jones Four?
2: Yeah, I think that's my vague recollection. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, it was something sort of like that, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I don't. I won't rewatch Crystal Skull, so I don't really. i got remember PTSD
1: that well. from that.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway, I'll try to compress this as much as I can. The studio ended up going to a guy named Tim Hunter who had directed a movie called River's Edge with River Phoenix and, I think it was River Phoenix and uh, Keanu Reeves, good movie. Um, and he agreed to come on and right around the same time they were hiring him they hired Frank Miller famous for being a comic book writer who was still relatively very early in his career at that point. His one really huge success at that point was The Dark Knight Returns, which is why they'd gone looking for him. They liked the tone of the graphic novel and thought he might work well. They also brought in a writer who I don't know much about named Wayland Green, who I guess contributed bits and pieces to the script with Miller, but um, not a lot. He did end up getting a, a, a credit, but I think he contributed really very little of what got used. Uh, Miller was working on the script for a while with Tim Hunter, and then Tim Hunter had some kind of disagreement with them, probably over the time frame for shooting, and he said, fuck this, I'm out. So he walked away. Kirshner at that point... Was a well-known and respected director, but hadn't directed anything, I think, in two or three years, something like that. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And they knew that he was capable of working with models and effects work because he'd done Empire. And um, they thought he'd be maybe a good person to helm so they had him come in and... Trying to assess exactly what was really going on day-to-day on the set beyond that is a little difficult because different people tell slightly different versions of it, and in some cases the versions really don't match up. Miller has subsequently over the years described it as having been one of the most miserable experiences of his life. He talks about it as having hated every single moment of it. He would not work on another movie for years afterward, not because the industry didn't want him, but because he wasn't interested in being involved. When he got involved in Sin City, it was begrudgingly, and only because they guaranteed that his work wouldn't be screwed with in the same way. But other people tell different versions of the story. Um, I want to bring up a note here so I remember the entire thing. But there's this dude... Well, oh yeah, Paul Salmon. He was the CG effects supervisor in this movie, which mostly involved doing the stuff you see on screens. He was also the publicist for this movie. He also did several other things for this movie. He was on set with them in Houston for about nine months... He's written for the Los Angeles Times, um, for American Cinematographer Magazine, and for an old sci-fi film magazine called Fantastique. He's written fiction, literary fiction that's appeared in multiple collections. He's the editor of a fiction series called Splatterpunk Books. He's produced, directed, and edited documentary films. At the time they were working on Robocop 2, he was also helping produce a Japanese TV show called Hello Movies, which I think is really funny. He's also in the original Starship Troopers for about 10 seconds. There's a scene where somebody feeds a cow to one of the arachnid aliens. He's the guy that feeds the cow to the alien. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, Because he'd worked with Verhoeven on the first Robocop, so they knew each other. He wrote, like, the definitive book about the production of Blade Runner, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so he's got these other stories about how, oh, no, Miller was really, he was fine. He was there every day, and he was writing changes, and he wasn't bad, and he seemed to enjoy the experience. It's, like, it's really difficult to figure out where it was. The, the guy that played Katzo, who's the, the henchman who sort of looks like Elvis, um, the actor who played him said in an interview once that he remembers Kirshner getting the set and tearing pages he didn't like out of the script while Miller was basically just standing there almost in tears like just so frustrated with what was going on. Kirshner apparently hated what Miller and, and Tim Hunter had been working on and Miller was apparently rewriting multiple pages of the script on a day-to-day basis. This is not the only time this has ever happened. It happened on Alien 3 as well, but uh, it's not a good scene. And um, <laughs> um, they, were, they rewrote certain scenes over and over and over again to the point where a lot of things changed. The, Dr. Fax character who we'll talk about ended up getting a huge percentage of screen time that was supposed to originally be for Officer Lewis. Officer Lewis was virtually written out in the movie. you hardly see her at all. A lot of the original characters were supposed to be way different than they were and only bits and pieces if it got kept. kept. The main villain was always supposed to be like a messiah complex dude. You don't really get all of that. And anyway, but they brought in Kirshner. Kirshner caused some friction but eventually managed to get the movie made in a really short time frame. And, um... Apparently, the crew was not real fond of it in the end. Salmon tells a story during one of his interviews about production of the movie that they did the original crew screening. And when they were leaving, after the credits had run, some of the crew members were referring to the movie as Roboflop um, because they didn't think it would make any money. It did, though. It did. And a lot of people over the years have sort of softened or even modified their stances. Even Salmon admits that he didn't think he liked the finished product very much at all in 90 when they were done making it, but that in the years since then, he's started liking large parts of the movie more than he used to. He still has some issues with it, but yeah. Anyway, very convoluted production.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. I saw this movie for the first time for this podcast. I had seen some pieces of it as a kid. I'd seen some... Some of the more memorable moments of it, just like in passing, but it's it's pretty good. I mean, yeah, I it, like it overall. It, it's not a bad it's, movie. Yeah, it's no,
2: solid. I really. Some of Miller's ideas were a little out there. There's a small number. I'm glad they didn't use. But I I think that yeah, a it didn't really turn out that bad way despite everything. And b it may it may have been even better if they had a longer production schedule and and Miller's work hadn't been messed with quite as much. But yeah.
1: I was going to say, uh, in preparation for this podcast, I watched all two RoboCop films. Unfortunately, you know, they never tried
2: to make a third one or remake it. But, you know, it's probably for the best, right, Phyllis? Yes. You know, I agree with you 100%. It's very strange that that never happened. Actually, I was going to wait till the end to say this, but it's a good moment to drop it in alongside Josh's genuinely funny comment. Michael uh, Miner and Edward Newmeyer, like I said, were approached at one point to write a script for this movie. And whatever ideas they had didn't really, by and large, make it in. They announced, I don't know if it's really going to happen, but they announced last year that they're trying to get a film produced based on what would have been their script for this film, and that it's going to, it's going to pretend as if this movie in three never happened, and it's going to take place immediately after the first one.
1: Oh, they're going to terminate or dark fade it. Exactly. They're doing the old retcon, Right? <laughs> no,
2: I don't know for sure the movies are actually going to really get made. They, they just said they're going to basically try to. But interestingly, sort of along the same lines, years after the movie came out, Miller and another guy whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, works at Marvel. Uh, worked together, and Miller's original completed s- screenplay for this, or what would have been his original er- screenplay for this, was adapted into a-, a miniseries that Marvel published. So you can actually read in-, in graphic novel form basically what would have been Frank Miller's complete version of this film. Have you read it? Uh, not the whole thing. I've mm. and pieces, but it- it's largely very much the same and also uh, different a bit. Yeah.
0: Well, you might already know this, Steve. But there is in production a RoboCop-ish series right now. There's an OCP series, oh, a yeah. prequel series based on a young Dick Jones from the first movie.
2: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, are they using a deep-faked young Dan or Hurley for I, it? Hurley? I,
1: are they going to General uh Tark in him? That's the other guy.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I, I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's right.
2: Dick Jones is. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm pretty sure what they'll do is they'll recast him. But also, it's one of those weird things that I don't like that TV does, or that TV studios do, I should be more specific, Right, where they do a series based on a character, but the character is not in it,
2: you know? Oh my god, what? It's
0: like, it's well, I mean, it's a RoboCop prequel series, but there's no oh. RoboCop in it. It's just about Dick Jones and OCP. Oh, like Gotham? It's like Gotham, exactly. So, I'm not a, or Smallville, I'm not a super huge fan of that, yeah. like, to have... What if we had a Superman show, but it's not—he's not Superman yet. Or what if we had? Cr-
1: what's that show that just came out? Krypton. That's about like Superman's grandpa. Oh my like, god! Who gives a fuck about gran- right? grandpa Kal El?
0: That's the problem with that show, which I think has been canceled. But apparently, it's a good show. But it doesn't like—I'm sure the five people watching it really enjoy it. <laughs> so like, y- you can't like sell pitch someone on just that idea. I don't think very well.
1: All of these sound like fucking bad elevator pitches, right? What's
2: what's all Grandpa Cal L up to? Like, uh, what if we made a Superman movie where he didn't have a cape and didn't fly, and he fights a giant spider in the end? <laughs> oh man,
1: that's the spider intrigues me. You son of a
2: bitch, I'm in. <laughs> uh, this ended up being Kirshner's last movie. I'm gonna stick that in there. Uh, he was uh, supposed to. I think he was planning on doing a remake of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers when he passed away, but he never got to do it. Yeah.
0: Rest in peace to the legend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: So let's talk about the movie itself. I think it's time. Robocop 2. Josh, do you want to tell us about how it opens with the, uh, the news intro and TV commercials? I mean, it's similar vibes to the first one.
1: It, yeah, it's not as clever, but we're introduced to our favorite news anchors. You know, if we just give them one minute, they'll give us the world. <clears throat> is, it, is that the expression? It is. Uh, I don't. The s- new scenes in the commercials uh, in the first film seem a little bit more clever, a little bit more nuanced. These just seem like, I don't know, like, a, like I wrote them. Like they're not as good, you know? Uh, we get the the <laughs> Magnavolt commercial. Magnavolt is cool. I I really like that commercial. Yeah, I liked it too. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, I love it. It's just, it's more on the nose. You know what I mean? We got Clamp from Gremlins 2 as like our
0: spokesperson (laughs) of Magnavolt. But I I love how the society is still like so fucked up. Like the the car security commercial, it's a device in your car that if someone tries to steal it, it will kill them. And then you just kick out the corpse and drive away, like, because right. <laughs> that's
2: acceptable in this society. I mean, I, 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 Josh, I agree with you in the sense that it is very on the nose, and I think that's that's Miller's touch, and I don't mind it. I like Miller's work, but I think that's one of people's criticisms of him. He very, he very much likes these kind of grimy seedy societies you look at the way he depicts like the worst parts of gotham and the batman work he's done and and i I like it but it is it's not it's not subtle there's nothing subtle about it it's very much like hey look how grungy and fucked up this world is
1: it's more apparent when they get to the ocp communications commercial and the guy blows his brains out yes
0: (gasps) absolutely that's a good one can you tell us about that one josh i know it's ahead it doesn't really matter like the what? I was trying to follow that commercial because it starts off like a suicidal
1: man. Yeah, he. I guess because he didn't pick OCP communications. Was it his download speed
2: fucked up or something? Yeah, they can't transfer the data quickly enough.
1: So like he
0: lost the big account or something?
1: <laughs> he just blows his brains out in front of a picture of his family. <laughs> and it's so funny. <laughs>
0: We had learned a few things on the news. Obviously, there's just the world building of, like, the Amazon nuclear power plant caught fire, and it's, like, it's raining, irradiated rain in the world's largest rainforest, shit like that. The police are still on strike, carryover from the
2: last movie. Yeah, and that, uh, so the the rainforest power plant, really just to underline, like, hey, everything's fucked up. But then the next two bits, which were about about that, about the police strike and about the Surgeon General, are really important moments for for storytelling, for exposition, because um, the strike news says that the cops are striking because their pay's been cut by 40% and their pensions are being being taken away. And that's going to play into a scene that we're going to get to in a minute, so just bear that in mind. And then there's also a segment about how the Surgeon General was assassinated by somebody, and they tell you that he was killed by a guy who was a crazed addict to some kind of new powerful drug Called Nuke, and it's being distributed by a mysterious guy called Kane who runs something called the Kane Cult. And they show video footage of the Surgeon General being gunned down, followed by a video clip of Kane taking a very Messiah like attitude <laughs> and basically saying that, like, I'm gonna give people the paradise they're looking for through this chemical that I'm distributing to them.
0: This station has just received the following transmission from Kane, convicted murderer and leader of the Nuke Cult.
1: People want paradise
2: and they will have it.
0: It's like very the Mandarin, like video clips
1: from Iron Man 3.
2: In (laughs) fact, there's a scene at the end that we're going to touch when we get there that they – not in a bad way, but they basically ripped off for the first Iron Man. So – Yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh So let me just say my two cents on Kane as a character. Like – Tom Noonan yes. is a fantastic actor. So good. Love him. I'm not overly in love with the character of Cain in the Messiah complex. Uh, like, to the point where after he dies, going ahead, his hench- some of his henchmen are still fanatically loyal. And it reminds me a little bit, I'm sure you've seen this movie, Steve, uh, The Lord of Illusions. Mm-hmm. It uh, reminds
2: me a little bit of that. I just added that movie to my Amazon watch list so I could watch it again. But yeah. No, <laughs> How well, it, did I know you've watched that? Right? <laughs> I, that That's another – this is one of many areas where it, this, this got muddled because of the way the script got fucked with and because they didn't have a long enough production timeline to flush out the changes they were making. Miller wrote that character to be much deeper in that sense where the first time you were going to see him was supposed to be – him leading basically a religious service where they were distributing newt to people and everyone was like on their knees praying and the, the whole messianic thing was going to play out in a much bigger way throughout the rest of the movie as well. It was an element that, that Miller had introduced. Um, and that this guy not only sees himself as a savior, but has a sort of immortality complex. And a little bit of it is still there because when Dr. Fax is making the case that he'd be the perfect candidate, for RoboCop 2, which we'll talk about more in a bit. Um, one of the reasons why she thinks he'd be the perfect candidate is because he's got this immortality complex. We can give this guy an opportunity to essentially live forever inside the body of this this machine. And um, But, you know, because Kirshner didn't like it, because they had to reduce the script for shooting time and blah, 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 little bits of it got kept and the core of it got lost. And I mostly agree with you that, like, the problem for me is that they 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 needed to either keep all of it and really establish it as a significant part of the backstory or, or play their way out of it. Like pe- peppering it and keeping pieces of it like they did it is one of the few things I find to sort of be a failing in the film.
0: And the drug is nuke, like you said. Yeah. I can't help yeah. but think interplay – I think that's the name of the company kind of maybe stole that a little bit for the plot of the game Fallout 2. Right. Wherein the characters are addicted to a drug called Jet. Oh yeah. Which looks to be ingested very similarly and they kind of have uh, a cult following around it to a degree. <laughs> good game. Well, uh,
1: that's uh Nuke in its purest form. I hear if you really want to have a good time, you smoke crystal Nuke, <laughs> or so I'm told. <laughs>
2: The delivery mechanism for the Nuke was really um, a really popular brand of 1980s contact lens solution. They bought them in bulk. They bought thousands of them and then colored the liquid inside of them red um to make it look like it was a drug delivery mechanism. But at the time, you could have gone and bought the same things off the store at like a Rite Aid or wherever.
0: Make for an easy cosplay.
2: Exactly, right? <laughs> you want to inject yourself with eye cleaner uh, or eye contact lens cleaner. And they did real, real quickly, and then I'll defer back to Josh, but the last note, not super important story-wise for the film, but the last note for the news segment is that they also show a clip where they announce that the attorney general has approved uh, the tactical use of ED-209 bots by the police in five cities. But that people are really concerned because it's obvious the glitches in Ed Two Hundred Nine haven't been worked out yet. And when they're when the when Lisa Gibbons, the newscaster, is talking about this, the video clip they use is of an Ed Two Hundred Nine on its back outside the OCP building, freaking the fuck out that it can't get up, like in the stairwell in the first one.
1: Right. I, I believe
2: great. its foot is stuck in a manhole. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's stuck so in a manhole. so
1: funny. Like they did iron out any of the glitches, right. and they still mass produced them. And I, I do
2: think – in not the direct story like I said, but I think it's an, an important glimpse real quick because Miller was definitely trying to underline like things are so bad and so corrupt and the corporations are so much in charge of how everything gets run that – They've managed to get this clearly dysfunctional, dangerous product approved by the Attorney General for law enforcement use in five cities, and it it can't even stand up properly. Like, that's how, that's how screwed up this world is. And it's only gonna get worse because OCP is trying to privatize an American city. Like.
0: Yeah, I can't help but detect the shades of reality.
2: Right. I mean, rewatching it this year, it's been probably two years since the last time I really sat through it. Rewatching it this year really felt different. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Especially, it made me think of like, this is probably what people assume Defund the Police is. Right. This is what it represents.
2: <laughs> right.
0: And I, I don't want to get into that political argument too much, but this is obviously meant to be an extreme case of parody
2: the militarization of the police yeah absolutely
0: but leading into that I mean we learn more about how bad things are in Detroit with the police on strike or maybe just in general
1: it seems like a supernatural progression to the story from the first one we like Detroit is worse yeah and there's a huge like
0: causal chain of events that unfolds that is just a lot of fun to watch I think (laughs) Like, yeah, <laughs> to show how bad Detroit is. Steve, can you tell us like some of what happens here?
2: Yeah, so we're panning across the landscape of downtown, what is supposed to be old, old downtown Detroit, and uh, we can see there, there's graffiti all over the walls. There are homeless people everywhere. There's trash and debris blowing around in the streets, and uh, we find an, uh, an old bag lady. I don't even know if that term's PC anymore, but I'm saying it. An old bag lady pushing around a cart in the street, it's homeless, and here comes somebody to. Through with a the car, then plows through the cart she's pushing around, and you get the old sort of joke that she's got cans in the cart. At first, you're worried her and whatever she's got in the cart with her are gonna get hurt, but she's got cans in it. Here's the speed reference again. All right.
1: Cans. Oh my God. There was no bed. it okay? was full of cans. Are you sure? Yes. You sure? yes. Oh
2: and uh, it seems like this guy is coming over to help her. But instead of coming over to help her, even though she's an old woman, he comes over and he beats her up and he steals some stuff from her purse, including a, a jewelry or a bracelet and necklace, whatever it is. And now he's all happened. He starts walking away with it. But before he can get too far, he gets jumped by two women who are supposed to be very aggressive hookers. And they beat the hell out of this guy. They really kicked the shit out of him. They put his, their heels in his face and his groin. They really just beat the hell Some out of him. Some
1: early Sin City shit. He took the wrong road into Old Town.
2: Yes. And in fact, good good eye Josh, that's another sort of Miller trope. Not one that bothers me, but it's another Miller trope. Is the the kind of violent, aggressive, I can defend myself type hooker. Except for these ones aren't like I have to protect myself from the violent people that come see me. These ones are more like I'm the one committing the violence.
1: But, I am um, the danger.
2: Yeah, I am the danger. <laughs> I am the one who knocks. <laughs> they right? They beat him up and they steal from him what he just took from the old woman. And as they're walking away, they're, it's a long panning shot. You can see some other guy getting the hell beat of beaten out of him in the doorway of a business. Uh, old, I believe it's an old porno theater. And uh, <laughs> Pee Wee Herman's in there. Pee Wee Herman's <laughs> in there. And uh, then they get to um, a gun store. Yes, in the gun store, you know, it's just
0: your typical gun store with, like, rocket launchers and fucking, like, <laughs> yeah, anti-aircraft guns. Gun. Like
2: <laughs> Paul Salmon, in one of the segments, I think it's in the commentary, is talking about this, how they set that gun store up. He said, I don't know why the hell you'd even bother, but every single gun in the store... Is real they were all, they, none of them were props they were all functional weapons there
0: is a gun in there that is like a fucking American Gladiators tennis ball size <laughs> right? gun
2: dude and uh, he also said at one point that they had so many guns on the set for, the, for this film at one point that the crew literally lost track of them and that he and several other crew members actually spent an entire night doing nothing but loading ammo into guns and he refers to it literally as being the most boring thing he's ever done in his life. <laughs> 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 uh. But
0: amidst all this chaos, our hero emerges. We get to see the man himself, Robocop, a.k.a. Murphy. He pulls up on this gun store robbery. He drives up in his cop car, and man, they just fucking decimate this car.
2: Yeah, they try to they try to blow him up. They hit him with a rocket launcher. You don't know he's in it at first. They they think that they can get away robbing the store because the cops are on strike, which is part of why they give it to you that info in the news segment. It's like to say, you know, these guys think they're gonna get away because the cops aren't around. They try blowing the car up twice, and then then Robo Robo turns out to be in it. You can't kill him like that. So he, he comes he comes powering out of the car. Um, I, I, I wanted to note I forgot to a moment ago, what we're seeing in this this down da- the outside the exterior uh, is is a, actually part of Houston. They shot this movie in Houston instead of Dallas. They shot the first one in Dallas. They ended up in Houston this time around because. Dallas didn't really want them setting off a bunch of explosions and firing guns again at night because it bothers people a little bit more. And they always end up getting a bunch of crazed phone calls from people who don't know a movie's being shot and think stuff is really happening. Um, but Houston Houston was going through a major major economic depression in the late 80s and they needed as much money as they could get their hands on. It's kind of a strange allegory for the, the Detroit being broke in the film. Yeah, um, And Detroit eventually declared bankruptcy anyway, but Houston was so broke in the late 80s it was awful it was awful huge depression one of the worst depressions to ever affect an American city seriously that a huge section of downtown just looked like that anyway and I mean not quite that bad they did add trash and graffiti but it was close and the people in charge at Houston City Hall basically said hey you guys want to film here you can do whatever the fuck you want like just pay us And short of killing real people, obviously, but like, you know, so they they, so they went to Houston and they just they did this in downtown Houston and a huge percentage of the sets they used weren't even sets. They were derelict buildings that were actually in downtown Houston that they were able to just film inside of the police station was built inside of an abandoned school. And you can see when you look at the set that like there's paint peeling off the walls and parts of the ceiling are busted. They didn't do any of that. That, that building was just like that. And when they found it, when the set, uh, location scouters found it, they were, they, they the crew was like, yeah, don't, don't do it. Just put the police station inside of it. Don't fix it. We want it to look like it's decaying. So this is a real city you're looking at. The old man's office was an abandoned office in an abandoned office building. You see how nice that space is. The city was so broke, even, even the high-end stuff wasn't being used. They had that whole office building to themselves. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the last note on that real quick, and then I'm going back to Josh. But Paul Salmon says – he claims – I don't know if this is really true, but Salmon swears to God – that the economic situation in Houston was so bad while they were there that at least two different executives working for two different companies threw themselves out of windows from skyscrapers and committed suicide. Whoa. A whole bunch of really bad news shit was going on at the same time they were filming this movie. It's very strange. Anyway.
0: Some definite parallels, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, back to Robocop. He is uh, He's very blue. <laughs> he
2: is... <laughs> He is a he is a stark shade of blue.
1: Yeah, I noticed <laughs> they, that. All right, show- I'm not
2: talking. I'm sorry. They changed your suit a little bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get this one straight again. They did change his suit a little bit. They hired this guy. I always mispronounce his last name. His first name is James. His last name is, I think, Belhovic, Bellovic? Bellovic, something like that. Uh, Ron Tippett, I think his first name is Ron, something, whatever it is. He went, he went to this guy. Uh, he designed the suit for the first film. He went to this guy and said – we need something that's quicker and easier to produce, that's lighter in weight, and that will be easier to get Peter Weller in and out of. And so, they, they they recast the suit partially from the original molds and they used all fiberglass this time where the one in the first movie was a mix of like rubber and latex and fiberglass. So, parts of it were matte. And this time around, there's no matte. And you don't really necessarily even notice looking at them that that's the case. But... That's subconsciously, anyway, part of the reason the suits look a little bit shinier and more different because this one's all fiberglass. The first one, in order to make the material look more like metal, they came up with the idea of painting the fiberglass with metallic automotive paint um, because they found that on camera, it, that the paint made it look like more like metal instead of plastic. And they did the same thing with this one, but they added extra purple to the color mix for the suit, and you can see it on camera. And nobody, from the post-production stuff, nobody seems to agree why they did this. One person claims it's because it made the suit appear better on camera. Another person claims it's just because they liked the coloring better. Like, I have no idea. But it did change.
1: Yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah. It's not bad.
2: Josh, why don't you tell us what Robocop does here?
1: All right. So we're introduced to our antagonists here, uh, the gang, uh, Kane's gang, I guess, including Angie and uh one little hob hob is like an it's an interesting idea it just seems like an idea you arrive at when you've run out of ideas do you mean having him as a kid yeah what like the fact that you know you got a kid criminal and robocop can't shoot a kid so you know what i mean like it seems like an idea from like season seven episode 32 of some robocop show you know when they've expunged several ideas when when the movie already has a bunch of what seems like natural story progressions like uh the cops actually on strike and some other things i'm sure we'll get to yeah robocop
0: faces off with hob at some point he like he breaks into like one of their nuke factories and you know he kind of like Shoots people up and for some reason there's a baby in there. Pretty dark scene <laughs> where a guy holds about? like a baby hostage, puts like a gun to a baby's head. Pretty intense stuff.
1: That's a really cool moment though when he has that bullet ricocheted and it hits the guy at the back of the head. I feel like that's some classic
0: RoboCop shit right there. Yeah. To, like, oh, yeah. To do it that way.
2: Definitely. That that plays in sort of the mood for the first one. I, Hobb, I think is, I think is interesting is another character that like they were supposed to do more with and give more background to with the original drafts and it got lost. I think it's actually, there's a little bit of reality to it. There have been a lot of instances where they found like drug rings, especially in certain other countries, would recruit young teenagers because they were more innocuous and the police were less likely to stop and search them because they would typically assume that a kid's not doing anything illegal the young kids often typically also get lesser prison sentences when they get caught with drugs. So it's really convenient for a lot of these guys to recruit delinquent teenagers from really poor fucked up families. And because the kid wants the power and the money and the drug Lord wants someone who's naive enough to carry these drugs for him who won't, won't get hit as hard if he gets arrested and won't be suspected as readily by police. And there was supposed to be this whole other element where like, because Kane's got this Messiah complex He's recruiting these kids to help him partly because he's trying to like indoctrinate them into his religious system, so so to speak. It's, they did very similar things. I'm not drawing too many direct parallels here, but they did very similar things in real life with like the the, the American neo-Nazi groups tend to target white kids from real poor urban neighborhoods because they're they're much easier to convince that this shit is is real. Mm. They
1: try to recruit the Edward Furlongs of the world.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Disenfranchised young white kids and they can convince them, you know, it's all these other people who are causing your problems. And like, yeah. But yeah, I agree in the sense that like because all that background got written out, Hobbes' character feels a little bit more extraneous than he otherwise would. I do kind of like having him there anyway, though. Even though I will agree, shallow, just because there's there, there's a few moments where it's like this kids, this kids obscene, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah,
1: he he's got some cool moments. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. The scene where he's, like, trying to strangle Lewis is
2: is fun. Right? Okay, that's it. Real quick, that's another one. They, there's a moment there that they totally overshadow and you can hardly even notice. you got to really rewatch the movie to even notice there's anything going on there. Later on, when Robo finds him again at the arcade and he tries to choke Lewis, at first it looks like he's carrying around a little boombox, But then the boombox converts into an automatic weapon and he starts shooting at them. And like Corey's laughing and it's funny. (laughs) It seems ridiculous. That gun's real. They did not make that up for the movie. As ridiculous as that seems, that gun is real. That gun – I can't remember what it was really called. People would have to Google it. But it was specifically designed to be carried in ways that would make it look less like a gun. There was even a version of it you could get that would make it look like uh, a, a hard surface inside of like a box of flowers and you could dress it up so that if you looked hard enough, like really closely, you might be able to tell that it's not what it's supposed to be. But in public, when people aren't really paying attention, you can make it look like a boombox or a briefcase or a box of flowers or something else. And then if you need it, you can convert it into a box or, or into a, a real weapon. And they chose this this weapon for Hobbes' character specifically because that seems so clever. Is like Kane could send him out walking with something that looks like a boombox, but if he ever ends up in shit, he can turn it into a gun. And and, and and he uses it
1: throughout the movie, yeah. and I think
2: it adds to the character. 100% I agree with you. That that gun is, like, one of the character's core accessories, 100%.
0: That area you're talking about in the movie, like, that's straight up, like, some Foot Clan layer shit. Yes. Like, yeah, dude, it?
1: straight up. <laughs> Sam Rockwell's going to offer you some cigarettes.
2: Regular or menthol. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that area was especially weird, I guess. Um, Salmon was saying, Paul Salmon was saying in one of the commentary tracks that... I, it, I I guess it's not there anymore. I think they've torn the whole thing down, but there was like a two block or so, roughly two block stretch of Houston that was like enclosed. Like it, it would look like you were driving into a mall complex or something like that. But when you got inside of it, it was streets and it had apartment buildings, but there was a roof over it. And there was a point at which you'd get to a wall. Like, and because Houston was so fucked up at the time, this, like, two-block enclosed neighborhood was just abandoned. There was no one living in it. And uh, the fact that it was walled off made it really easy to control who came in and out once they had security people there. So they found a bunch of empty storefronts inside this enclosed neighborhood, and they turned one of them into the arcade for that scene. And um, they were able to really destroy the place and just do whatever they wanted because it was it was abandoned buildings they weren't going to keep anyway.
0: It's a pretty cool like set. They got a lot of those arcade games that are like super random. Like, you don't see Double Dragon in there. You don't see any that you know and love. It's a bunch of super random ones.
2: Almost every game in that arcade was published by a company called Data East. Data East published a lot of really popular games in the late 80s and early 90s, including most of the early games based on the RoboCop franchise. Mm. So I have a feeling the reason you don't see a lot of Ataris or Nintendo cabinets in there or whatever is because they they already had the deal set and they wanted to feature Data East's cabinets in that scene. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: I want to talk a little bit about RoboCop, a.k.a. Murphy, in his downtime. He doesn't have a lot of downtime, but in his downtime, he seems to be a stalker. (laughs) Just a mild stalker. Just, just just a little bit. There's a carryover from the last movie where, you know, he had a wife and a kid before he died, and now he's Robocop, and his memories are... I don't know if they're fully, like, returned, but, like, you know, f- like a carryover from the last movie. There's something there. So he kind of, like, drives by his wife's house a lot. Former wife,
1: I guess. So, like, there, this movie has... A lot of good ideas, but it has too many ideas, I think. This is another interesting idea. Uh, It's just none of these ideas get fleshed out, and this whole subplot goes nowhere. This does not pay off. (laughs) It, like, ends in 20 minutes.
0: But when when you're watching it for the first time, and it's, like, gotten you to this point in the story, it is very engaging. Because they're setting it up as if it's going to pay off, or as if it's going to inform some of RoboCop's decisions in the end, Right. It doesn't, and, but it, it does seems like it's going to. <laughs> and it's good when you're watching it at that point in time.
2: I, I think that they decided that that scene between him and his wife, which is fantastic. I love that scene. It's one of the best parts of the movie. But I think they decided that that scene was in and of itself supposed to be the payoff. I, 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 I think that they were on such a compressed shooting schedule and there was so little material that they could really afford to shoot. And they, they didn't have a finished script until literally they'd finished shooting the movie. That I, I think the idea was supposed to be here's a footnote that'll sort of show you this is something that Alex is still struggling with, but other than that, it's not going to feature into the core story. Whereas if they'd gone with earlier drafts by Miller and by other people, that that would have been a more prevalent feature. But yeah, the part where he, he she comes in and they, and he has her touch his face is especially that's that's a that's a real moment.
1: I I do like the moment. Yeah. The prick that's reprimanding or robomanding him? Robomanding. (laughs) It's like, what a sleazy piece of shit. What a good actor. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: There's there's a a very crucial moment in there for me because it, it shows us Robocop's humanity. He's basically being interrogated by this OCP guy saying, you think you're human? This isn't someone that you know. You're a machine. You think you know the power of love? He says, do you think you can offer her a man's love? and in a very very human voice he says no yeah that's his most human voice in the whole movie i think and i love it
1: you're ripping her to pieces and for
2: what do you think you could ever be a husband to her i mean what can you offer her companionship love a man's love
1: It might be his most human voice in all two films.
2: Yeah. Yeah, We touched on this a little in the first one. We're toward the end, around the last battle with uh, There's, There's a moment where you can tell that his intonation and his voice have changed a little bit. And Weller commented that he did that on purpose because he wanted it to be apparent that – Murphy was finding more of a, a middle ground in between the man he used to be and the sort of machine he was now. And then that, that had created a bit of a change. And I, I, yeah, I think that that's them kind of revisiting that here where there's, there's that sort of all of a sudden he's operating. I don't know. You might call it more for more of a sense of clarity. Like he, he, he doesn't want to accept it, but he's, he's in that moment when the lawyer presses him, he sort of has to admit out loud against his will that like, I may not really be a machine, but I'm definitely not human anymore. You know? Right. Yeah.
0: But to get back on track in his, I guess, investigation into the nuke issue in Detroit because that's he's trying to like take down this nuke situation. Yeah. Through that Foot Clan lair scene we talked about, he gets a lead that it's being run out of a certain factory. It's basically like the old mill from the first RoboCop that we see a couple times. Like yeah. This franchise loves these old abandoned like mills.
2: Yeah, I mean, like revisiting a theme from the first one, where Detroit particularly, but Michigan as a whole, had been this mecca for manufacturing in early 1900s America, and by the time the late 80s was, had come around, it was already completely fucking falling apart. Michigan's still a mess now. Flint, Michigan, has no clean drinking water. It hasn't had clean drinking water in years. Um, Yeah, yeah, and and all because the auto industry abandoned them. The the, the economy had nothing else to go on. So yeah, it's just really fucked up.
1: RoboCop gets this lead from uh, such an underrated character that the unsung hero, which is Duffy. Duffy. Yeah, Duffy. (laughs) (laughs) Duffy Duffy. seems like the most natural uh, extension of the first film. Like, what do you do,
2: dirty cops?
1: You know? Yeah
2: probably worth clearing up like we talked a little bit where uh, about the first encounter between Robo and and Hobb and the gang the, early in the film after those people get beaten up and the gun store gets blown up Robo interrogates one of the guys from the gun store robbery he gives Robo a lead that takes him to one of the places where they're manufacturing nuke Robo shows up there shoots up a p- bunch of people but fails to capture Hob or Kane or any of the real big guys so later in the movie After an interrogation scene, he gets another tip from Duffy the Dirty Cop, who leads him to the the really primary manufacturing point for Nuke.
1: Josh, why don't you tell us about what goes on in that facility? Oh, man, this this is a really good scene. So RoboCop goes to bust into the warehouse. Unbeknownst to him, they've already got the drop on him. Tom Noonan starts talking about Jesus (laughs) and pretending he's better than everybody.
2: (laughs) Jesus had days like this.
1: Jesus had days like this, hounded and attacked like a criminal. But like him,
0: I don't blame you. They program you, and you do it. I will kill you. You just try and I forgive you
1: yeah. <laughs> Jesus said there'd be days like this <laughs> They give RoboCop a hand Clarence Boddicker style <laughs> And then they begin to strip him apart Give the man a hand
2: Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the second time around um, they, they get the drop on him They sort of know he's coming um, Somehow they figure out that Duffy's told them.
1: Well, they tell Duffy you think you're the only cop we have on payroll.
2: That's right, yeah. They, so one of the other cops must have told. How the other cop would know that Duffy gave that information up is kind of questionable, but yeah. And, and so they, they try blowing up his cruiser when he comes in the gate, but he's not really in it. Then he gets into the factory and they, they ambush him inside the factory. There's, there's a couple of weird moments like this. Like at the beginning, when he goes to the first nuke factory, he manages to sneak up behind two guys, even though he's only like three or four feet behind them. And most of the time when he's walking around, there are all these, like, thuds and mechanical noises. And all of a sudden, this one scene where he's three feet behind people, there's no noise. So, it doesn't make any sense. He's too noisy. He couldn't follow somebody that close. And, like, this scene where he gets to the factory the second time, you see him pull up to the gate in his squad car. You see him get out of the car and open the gate. You see him get back into the car. Then the car blows up. And that- somehow... He's not in the car. He's like a Batman. He's also a ninja. Right? Yeah, he's like, somehow this, like, 750-pound man-sized machine can do all this without being detected. Stealth mode activated. He did have to suspend (laughs) disbelief for that moment a little bit, yeah. Paul Salmon again. Uh, One of the things he was doing on set he was working was taking production photographs and production video, and a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes video for the production side of this film was really shot by him on a camcorder, When they were filming that scene, he was taking production photos of all the stunt stuff for them to use. And he and one other photographer were standing on the ground outside of view of the camera, just a few feet from where they were going to blow up that Taurus squad car. And the two of them decided on a whim that they were actually going to go to the roof of one of the adjacent buildings and take photographs looking down at the car while they blew it up for the scene. And he says he's, he's really glad he did that, partly because the shots turned out great, but apparently the explosion turned out to be a bit bigger than they thought it would be, and one of the doors got blown off the car with so much force that it actually embedded itself in a wall, a cement wall, and um, Salmon would have been standing right, pretty much right where the door ended up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> they would have
0: had to turn him into a Robocop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Robocop gets fucking Wrecked at this facility It is horrifying He gets everything I mean they shoot at him with a minigun They shoot like a cable through his chest Like with like a grappling hook Whatever kind of thing and that shoots electricity That disables him They fucking have this industrial size Like hook Like fucking Home Alone style Come from like the the ceiling It like swings down like a bucket of paint And like knocks him over
1: They've got a uh, jackhammer.
0: They have a, Yeah, they move him around with a big industrial magnet, which is a really clever way to disable RoboCop, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got
2: jackhammers, sledgehammers, they chainsaws. Like, MC they just... hammers. Right. <laughs> and it takes forever for them to, once they've really got him, they strap him down to a table and they start taking him apart. And it takes them hours to do it. But it's horrifying it really is. It's really horrifying when you think about it, even even without a lot of, like, actual blood. Because, like, Murphy, Murphy's consciousness to some degree is there, and he's you get a view through his viewfinder while this is all happening. And, like, even if he can't really feel it the way a person will, it would, he's, like, trapped there, strapped to a table while these people take sledgehammers and jackhammers to his body. They're taking his limbs off. Like, this dude already got blown to pieces once when he was a person, you know? Yeah, and it's very reminiscent of that. Right.
1: The effect of... Of Peter Weller's face
2: is so good. Oh my God, it's good. So good, especially when they they dump his body outside the police station in a limo. and when the, when the OCP and police guys have him collected, there's that few scenes where they've got his torso hanging from like a like a metal rig. and it, Josh, you and I when we did the first one, we talked about like the one really cool moment in the remake was that moment where they peel away all his armor and you can just see his lungs. Like, yeah. <laughs> this was the original RoboCop version of that, and it's, it's fantastic, and it's frightening, and it's an amazing effect. It's like, they've got his torso with Weller's face, and the face is moving, and there's all the animation, like, hanging without limbs, and it's just like, oh my god. It's yeah. Body horror. Yeah.
1: There's a nice moment where they're uh, rushing RoboCop to uh, help or surgery or whatever, you see them running over their strike signs,
2: Oh, that's true. Yeah. Man, can you imagine what a RoboCop movie directed by Cronenberg would be like? I would love to see that. shit. (laughs) Right body dysmorphia out the wazoo. Jesus, yeah, that's too good for words, I think. (laughs) Uh.
0: But all the while, while RoboCop is getting wrecked and he's in pieces and potentially going to get repaired, that's still in question. OCP is up to some nefarious shit, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and this is where the news segment from the beginning really comes back into play. Cause there's a scene where the mayor and the city attorney go to OCP, and the first thing the mayor wants to know is are you guys gonna start are you guys gonna give the cops back the pensions and the money you took from them so they'll go back to work? And OCP's response is no, they're not gonna get anything back. Then they explain that the city is $37 million in change in debt to OCP and that OCP is now per the contract initiating default proceedings, basically a foreclosure on the city of Detroit and will be allowed, legally allowed to take over all of the city's assets. And the mayor sort of and the city attorney sort of deduce while they're there that I mean, look, the the company's got the right to do this anyway because they've dumped money into keeping the city running and they're not getting it paid back. But in addition to that, they don't really want the police department to function. They want things to get as bad as possible so that it just becomes easier and easier for them to convince the public that the right thing to do is for Detroit to be turned into a a privatized corporate city.
1: Which is kind of the biggest carryover storyline from the first film. They foreshadow this in the first film. Yes. Except that the old man is now Dick Jones.
0: Right? Right? Basically, old man has taken...
1: Oh, Oh, yeah, he's now the character of Dick... He's taken up the mantle of being the dick for the movie. Yeah, Yeah, like
2: the corporate villain he's definitely more of an asshole this time around I, I I think that like yeah they wanted to double down on he talks about the character talks about in the first moment this is something he's been trying to do for 20 years and I get the impression that, at least the way they wrote him by the time you get to this movie the old man is just like fuck it I'm gonna make this happen before I die like whatever we have to do is what we're gonna do but yeah
0: and he's got a psychologist named Fax working under
2: him. Yes. Yeah, a couple of quick things. The, the actor's name is Jerry something. I forget his last name. Who plays the city attorney for Detroit in the movie. That dude was normally, I swear to God, that dude was normally a puppeteer for Jim Henson. And he did a lot of the puppeteering work on Muppet stuff. Hmm. And he also played the city attorney in two RoboCop movies, which is pretty funny. Yeah, you also sort of find out after the meeting between the mayor and the old man and blah, 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 that... OCP is still trying to replicate RoboCop, and they they can't.
1: They've got they've got a new product. It's called RoboCop Two.
2: Yeah, so they're so ingenious. Their marketing department—they're calling their new version RoboCop Two,
1: which is a
0: little meta for this movie. Absolutely,
2: <laughs> you know? it's, I love it. Oh, no. I do too. This leads to one of the best parts of the whole film. I, one of my favorite moments in cinematic history, frankly. But yeah, so so real quick, they're they're trying to develop a second RoboCop. But they're having a lot of difficulty. They're still trying this thing where they're putting people's brains in robot bodies. But the brains they've been using don't like it. Um, they're
0: using dead cops, right?
2: Yeah, they're they're using more dead cops the way they did with Murphy. And they believe that this is the best way to go because it worked with Murphy. and And they think that, you know, they'll find another one like him. And because they've had these failings, they've brought in this psychoanalyst, Dr. Fax who's supposed to sort of help them figure out the psychology side of how to put a person's brain in a robot's body without it going apeshit.
1: Without it pulling
2: its own face All off. Right. So, yeah, to underline how bad the issue is, there's a moment where Dr. Fax and Johnson, who's like the second command, played by Felton Perry, second command of the old man, they, they sit down with some other people and they watch a video reel of three of the RoboCop 2 experiments. And... Each of the three of them goes maniacally insane in a slightly different way. One of them shoots some people and then itself. One of them literally tears the the metal portion of its own head off, exposing its skull underneath. It's this moment is what made me love this movie. I love this movie, and it's a large part of it's down to that scene. It, it, I, I I I can't tell you how good it is. It's the best. And so they go from there to basically we need to do something different. But one of the moments I thought was funny here is that. The old man laments that the company has dumped $90 million into this this RoboCop 2 project and has not gotten a result. And it's just so funny to think about how in $1990, dollars, $90 million bucks was a ridiculous amount of money. Ridiculous amount of money. I mean, you think about it, Waterworld. Waterworld, which wasn't even really that long ago, was the first major motion picture to cost more than $100 million to produce. And today, not that much longer into the future, big blockbuster movies regularly cost well over 100 some of them cost over 200 million dollars to make and like it's so funny to think about that like the company dumped 90 million but today 90 million dollars would be considered like the minimum investment <laughs> <laughs> like yeah but now they've got Fex and fax fax immediately starts flirting with the old man and he's into her dude's got a total she boner. really
1: wants his silver shamrock
2: <laughs> right and uh so she basically convinces the group of them. The reason this isn't working is because Murphy was the exception, not the rule. Cops are not the right personality type for you guys to be testing with. We need to find someone who, A, we can control and B, who has delusions about immortality so that the prospect of having their brain put in a robot's body will actually seem good to them. And um, she eventually comes to the conclusion the right person for this is Kane.
0: Right, and they and that kind of unfolds in a little bit. Yeah. In the meantime, she does fix RoboCop up.
2: Oh boy, does she? She she convinces OCP to use this as a PR move and tries to, and rebuilds RoboCop with, with a bunch of new directives.
0: Josh, why don't you tell us about uh, the new and
1: improved RoboCop? Uh, this might be my favorite part of the movie: PC RoboCop <laughs> running around. Telling people, you know, bad language makes for bad feelings is so fucking fun. I
0: hate this part of the movie, actually.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's too stupid for me. Like, I don't, it's one of those, look how they massacred my boy moments for me, <laughs> 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 which I like to say a lot in this podcast, but they basically give him the personality of a Johnny Cab driver from Total Recall,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I love it, but part of the reason I love it is because I hate it so much. I think that it's a perfect job of like, this is everything that was wrong with early 90s PC thinking stuffed into RoboCop's brain. And I hate every moment of seeing him like that. But I I think that on that level, it works. Well, it only lasts for like 20 minutes. Right. Yeah, it's not too long. There or was, less, even. Maybe. If you if you slow mo some of the frames, some of the directives they stuck in are funny too. One of one of the directives says something like "Do not attend Orion meetings." You know, they <laughs> they stuck a lot of funny things in there. <laughs> He's
1: got like four hundred directives now.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the problem. Not only are they all ridiculously PC, but there's 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 hundreds of them or dozens of them, and I mean they say all kinds of ridiculous things like like research or pull what the people near you think before you express an opinion.
0: Yeah, or like reinforce positive thinking, shit like that, yeah.
1: Turns him into a total buzzkill.
0: I mean, it definitely impacts his ability to take down the little baseball furies, right Josh?
1: (laughs) This isn't very nice. Though you may think you're having fun now, you only hurt the one you love. Think of mom and dad. What kind of lesson are you teaching them? And now, a word on nutrition.
0: Shit, he's fucked up.
1: Bad language makes for bad feelings. Let's go. The point is,
2: we all. Have to and there was supposed to be an, an extension to that scene where after Robo lets the kids go. The guy who operates the store gets really angry at him and basically says, how could you just let – the the group of them came in here and beat the hell out of me, destroyed my, destroyed my store and stole a bunch of stuff. You just gave them a speech and let them go. And Robocop chokes, chokes him because he's all fucked up in the head. <laughs> but they didn't, the scene didn't make the movie.
1: What, he's uh, reading Miranda rights to a corpse? Yes.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's wh- – how funny. Yeah, it's the
2: Baseball Furies. The Baseball Furies, that's right.
0: Josh, why don't you tell us about like how RoboCop handles these new directives? Because he, he he has a struggle within.
2: Uh, yes. I'm having trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so he
1: decides to uh, electrocute himself and reset uh, his shit back to zero. And he has no directives now. He just like grabs onto some
0: live electrical equipment. I, I thought he was trying to off himself. Like, one of those, like, failed OCP RoboCop 2s.
2: I always get the got the impression, because there's right before that, he's sitting there with the doctor and the team. They're talking about how much his head's been fucked with. I always kind of got the impression that he didn't care it was going to be one or the other. Like, either I fry myself to death or I get these things out of my head. And either way, I don't give a shit which happens. Like
1: Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt. It's a good thing it paid off. <laughs> right? Well, here's the thing, too. He has his
0: original... Uh, four directives, which I guess then becomes three directives. But when he resets himself, he has no directives. Yeah, Did it's you guys like he that? blanked
2: his whole memory.
0: So he doesn't have to uh, follow those three directives. He does that by choice now. So he
1: can go beat yes. up OCP
2: executives. <laughs> <laughs> sure,
1: you can. Beat up Dick Jones all day long, sir.
0: <laughs> but he doesn't have to like uphold the law and serve the public trust and all that. So like, They don't explore it very well. But it is noteworthy that he does he's no longer required to do those things.
2: Yeah, I guess that's true. And I think that sort of underlines Fax's point from earlier where it's like Murphy worked because he's an exception, not the rule. And like that kind of proves that like, he doesn't really need the directives; He'll still mostly behave himself. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are some other commercials
0: peppered in as well. <laughs> One that was noteworthy to me is just because of the actress, which is <laughs> Sunblock 5000. Yes. What's what is that, Josh?
1: Like what? Like, why do you need apparently? Well, you tell me, (laughs) apparently the ozone layer is just completely gone in California. So you need sunblock 5000 in order to stay out for an hour or two (laughs) by the pool. But it also causes skin cancer.
2: It yeah, also causes that. skin cancer. It's prolonged use may cause skin
0: cancer. Like, you're, you're fucked either way. The the model <laughs> slash actress in that commercial is uh, Anna Maria from Summer School.
2: That's right. Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> Summer School
2: is classic, dude. It is. I really like that movie.
1: <laughs> Around this time, we're introduced to Kane's Nuke Lab uh, and the Frank Miller cameo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is Frankie. Himself. I know a Frank Miller when I see one, sir. <laughs> right?
0: He
2: calls him Frank too, so that's like yeah, his name. What's he say? It's making my teeth numb, or something like that. Cut it with scopolamine. <laughs> 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 There's a moment when uh, Robo is still struggling with his nonsense, politically correct um, uploads, where he fi fire- Well, he first first he stops to uh, close a fire hydrant that's spewing water. And there's a bunch of kids playing in it and the kids are pissed off. There's this one kid for the fucking life of me. I cannot remember his name and I cannot remember anything else he was in. But I know that during the early nineties, that kid was in four or five other things. It's driving me crazy. I've been trying to find out who he was and I can't find the right name, but he gets pissed off at RoboCop and tells him to go fuck a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> RoboCop's a super buzzkill. Right? And then RoboCop shoots around, literally with his gun, shoots around the head of a man who's having a cigarette and then basically says, it says, thank you for not smoking. That scene became so popular that Orion allowed for a don't smoke in the movie theater PSA to be created using that clip. And for a while, during like 90 and 91, some movie theaters would actually run that that clip as a Don't Smoke in the Theater PSA before they showed movies, which is pretty fantastic. Awesome.
1: Right? Awesome. <laughs> uh.
2: But after Robocop
0: kind of is fully fixed up and back to his old self again, he gets all the cops together, he rallies them, and they go after Kane. This time he's got backup.
2: Yeah, he's got the whole the whole crew with him.
0: It takes us to kind of like a big action scene and in this big action scene, you know, it's a big shootout. This time he's not getting fucking ambushed. He basically faces off with Kane. Like, they have a a kind of like a car chase. Like, you know, Kane's driving away in a truck. He hops on top of it. He eventually steals some poor fucking guy's motorcycle,
1: which is always like... <laughs> the one fucking guy that decided not to run over RoboCop.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, this movie for me is mostly really good, and I'll touch on this in more detail when we do the reviews. But, like... There's just just a couple of moments, just a few moments in this movie where it's like this moment is why people don't like this movie. Like, you guys <laughs> fucked up all the rest of your good work with this really dumb moment. And the moment where he's getting jumped over by the bikes is one of those. It's ridiculous. And the, the moment where he's riding the motorcycle that he's stolen is also ridiculous. They,
0: they, you could tell yes. they couldn't
2: shoot it. You, yeah, and he's standing on the bike for half of it, and then he's sort of sitting on it. it looks also, he's way too heavy for a motorcycle. Yeah, he's like Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well,
0: just maybe even heavier.
2: Right. I mean, he'd have to be. He'd weigh hundreds of pounds. Hundreds of pounds. I, like, if not more than that. Yeah. It's just that 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 moment is like, fuck you. I like this movie. Why'd you do this, dude? Imagine if he got on a horse. Oh my God! Just kill the poor <laughs> thing. Oh
0: right. God. That seems like something they would put in RoboCop 3 maybe. Like yeah, I, ride a horse.
1: That's exactly what they put in Jack and Jill. <laughs> oh Joe. my god, you're right.
0: But he does take in Kane. Kane is not killed, but he is like he's he's fucked up pretty bad because RoboCop like dives in the windshield and causes a huge car accident, which doesn't hurt RoboCop because he's armored, but Kane right. gets fucked up for sure, yeah.
1: Fucked up pretty good, man.
0: So he's taken in and uh fax she has some plans, right, Josh?
1: Yeah, so she really thinks that Tom Noonan is the perfect candidate. And unfortunately, Tom Noonan, or fortunately, Tom Noonan dies of natural causes <laughs> that was out of everybody's hands. But luckily, you know, they're able to get his brain into a RoboCop too. Yeah, she kills him. She pulls the plug on his (laughs) forefucker.
2: She basically wants to guarantee that she'll get this brain. There was also kind of another subplot that got removed where she wanted, she was so career driven and so driven to make Robocop to work for her own prosperity that she wanted to ensure that Robocop would become useless and that part of the reason why she uploaded all the ridiculous commands into him, directives into him, was because she she intended for it not to work and for it to fuck him up so that he wouldn't function properly so that it would be easier for her to convince OCP to stop using him and go with her project instead. But it's one of those things that got written out of the script. I Come see. Yeah.
0: See, when, with that context, it works better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that,
2: and that's part of my point with this movie is like when, when you realize how many of those little things got lost in translation, suddenly a lot of these story elements work way better.
1: Yeah,
0: totally. Josh, do you think it's a good idea to
1: have a robot drug addict? No, that's another weird, silly Frank Miller idea, right? The brain itself of Kane is still addicted to nuke. Uh, well, we uh, we get like a screen of Kane brought to us by Sega Saturn. Yeah, dude. Uh, or Sega CD.
2: Sega CD, <laughs> man. That's the revolution. That stuff... The guy I've been talking about, Paul Salmon, was the CG supervisor on this film, and most of what he did as the CG supervisor was create a lot of those monitor screens and computer screens that you see throughout the film. And it it really did take a lot of work. I mean, the technology was fairly limited, but they were using a Commodore, and they'd create the idea, they'd create the graphics using a Commodore, and they were on such a compressed schedule, there were some days where they'd have to make it up in a hurry and then run it to the set, but they had old school 80, late eighties era Commodore hardware where they were up, they were transferring the data for their graphics onto tapes for a tape drive. And then they would take them down to set where they'd put the tape into a drive connected to a second machine. And the, the Commodore that they had on the set would feed the graphics to the monitors they were filming. So it would look like all this stuff was like happening on the monitors, like medical monitoring or infrared data. It was just a, it was just a feed coming from a Commodore 64
1: yeah, and, that's awesome. uh,
2: Right? That and they, old tech. Right? And when you see Kane's first person view with, if you, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's at the top of his view, there's a drop down menu. That was aped from, um, Apple OS 6. Because that's, that's oh, wow. the way their interface worked. That was their GUI. Yeah. So they, they made one of them look like it had been adapted from MS DOS and the other looked adapted from an Apple computer. Uh, I'll say Kane's face looks better than all of Lawnmower Man too. Yeah, well, and so Dude, uh, some serious Lawnmower Man vibes, right? But uh, <laughs> I agree with you, Josh. And that was real quick. That was uh, that was considered really cutting edge when they did it because they sent Tom Noonan to a special effects studio that used a laser rig to take. They basically took 360 degree readings models of his head using lasers on a jig. And the technology was primitive at that point, but they had him make various different expressions for the machine. Smile, frown, open your mouth, close your mouth, this, that, the other thing. And then they used – Look horny. Right? <laughs> then they used all of the modeling to create the CG face that went into RoboCop 2. So, like, yeah, certainly doesn't look current anymore, but given the era, it was it was a big deal and it still looks neat. Still looks neat. And I,
1: yeah, I think it looks pretty neat.
2: The practical effects, the models and stuff in this movie, especially when we get to the last fight between Robo and Robocop 2. I love it so much. It's so good. It's so good. It is so good. And I think that like that, that CG face they did for Kane was great. But I think one of the things they did really well with this film was avoid peppering in a lot of that early 90s CG. Cause when there's only a bit of it, you can be like, okay, that's fun. But if they, if, too, if there's too much of it there, I think the old CG becomes distracting.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, I agree with that for the most part. Mm. But we, we'll we get to that pretty yeah. soon, actually, because Robo-Cain, which is, they call him RoboCop 2, he is alive. Basically, Fax says, all right, you do missions for me and I'll give you Jet. But do you see- Or not Jet. <laughs> I'm taking a Fallout
2: again. I'm also going to give you this magazine. Um, now, but do you the, the vial of Nuke that they've got for him? is, like, the size of the vials that made the turtles mutant ninjas. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like... <laughs> they give them a TGRI canister. Yeah, they're huge. They're huge. And, like, look, you've got the rest of your body, too, but... I mean, it made you, Toga and Razor. <laughs> right? You you put something in your body, a drug, the part of your body it's most interacting with is your brain. The, like, it, setting parts of your brain off is what makes you feel messed up to begin, whether it's dr- drink or whatever else. So, like... I mean, obviously it can affect the rest of your body too, but like you can, you can OD just overloading your brain with any given chemical substance. So even if the rest of your body's okay. So like Kane's brain is in this body. How much nuke can enter his brain before it just fries <laughs> the fuck out? It's like giving somebody D's immediately right? and dies. like if you you put somebody's brain in a robot body, it doesn't mean you can inject a gallon of heroin into that brain. Like it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> the wires can take it. <laughs> yeah, his brain will be fine. It wouldn't have been before, but now it's alright.
0: They basically send Kane on a killing rampage to his old crew, right?
1: Yeah, the old man executes Order 66.
2: <laughs> well, there's so there's an important catch here. After Robo and the cops capture Kane and while his brain is being transferred into this robotic body, Hob, the kid, has basically decided he's going to take over the operation. He knows what's going on with the city, partly because the city is having a ridiculous televised fundraiser to try to save itself from bankruptcy and ending up being taken over by OCP. So Hob calls... The mayor at this this fundraiser, televised fundraiser. and based, Man, that violin guy. Right? That guy was a real contortionist. I don't know where the hell they found him, but he was a real contortionist. Um, and uh, uh, he calls the fundraiser and, and says, I'll give you all the money you need. I've got everything. I'm going to bail the city out from this whole problem. You just come see me. At my office, which is a warehouse in the middle of nowhere, abandoned production facility of some kind. Classic Robocop. Classic Robocop. So you yeah, the 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 mayor goes out there. Meanwhile, OCP's attorney gets wind of the fact that this is happening, and facts and the OCP attorney and the old man and Johnson realizes a group that if the city gets bailed out, the company's going to be out tens of millions of dollars and won't be able to foreclose, which completely fucks up their plans. And the only way they can stop this from happening is if they stop this deal from happening. So, And the only way to stop a deal is to murder everyone involved. Right. And especially – No witnesses. Right. Especially once you've somehow deduced with no leads whatsoever where this secret meeting is secretly taking place. They never explain how they know where these people are meeting by the plot. Yeah. Right? You know? But yeah, somehow they figure out where this meeting is happening. The only thing I can come up with is that maybe somehow Kane's brain still remembered where this kind of meeting would happen. But like, how do they ask him? He can't speak? I don't know. Anyway. They they
1: have a scene with uh, the mayor's right hand goon who sells the
2: mayor out. He says, oh. when you guys take over the city, he's like, we'll remember you. That's right. He plays the Joe Pantigliano role from the original Matrix basically. He goes, He that's yes. right, he goes to ocp and basically says here's what's happening you guys want to do something about it this is the way you can do something about it so yeah the old man and fax and johnson and the lawyer decide that they're going to send robocop 2 to kill hob and uh, the woman's name i can never remember but a, a angie. woman, angie thank you angie who was who was basically kane's girlfriend and uh and the mayor and anyone else who's there okay the kane's gonna go kill all of them to Angie, who's
1: been episode. warning Hob that, you know, Kane's going to come back in the last act of this film and murder <laughs> all of us. Yeah.
2: Right? She she passed away in the last year or so, that actress. Ah. It I was really unfortunate. Apparently, real quick, Corey might find this tidbit kind of interesting. Miller liked her so much before Miller got so fed up with this production that he decided to quit movies for years. He was initially planning on following this up at some point, pretty shortly thereafter, with a film adaptation of Electra, and he wanted to cast her as Electra. Oh, he actually verbally promised her the role, and then the movie ended up never happening.
0: Well, there was a different version. Yeah, there was a
2: different Electra that happened years later that shouldn't have happened. Let's do a podcast on it, Steve. Uh, I (laughs) know. I don't want to sit through it again. I hate Jennifer Garner. Anyway. (laughs) I knew I wouldn't be able to bring you into that one. I mean, I might do it anyway, but I'm going to spend most of the movie talking about how her and Tony Robbins could probably literally eat the earth between the two of them with their huge square python jaws. Uh, Anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I might have to bring
2: Tony into this. He didn't do nothing wrong. No. At least he seems easier to put up with than her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He'll hypnotize you, though. Right? (laughs) Uh. Shallow Hal needs a gal.
2: <laughs> oh, boy, what another terrible movie. Eventually, Jack Black will be in a good movie again. I just don't know when. Jumanji 3. <laughs> oh, that's no, it's not going to be that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kung Fu Panda 5.
2: Oh, God.
0: Just to give the audience like a quick description of what we're dealing with here. Mm. Kane as Robocop 2 is like the War Machine to, like, if RoboCop was Iron Man, if that makes any sense. Like, he's bigger, <laughs> yes. he's bulkier, he has bigger guns, you know? He is, on the surface, more sophisticated. He's kind of like a little bit of a watered-down ED-209,
2: right? A little bit, yeah, and this is another thing. They didn't have time to do a lot of it. There's one moment where you sort of see it, but the person they asked to design that armor actually incorporated a lot of really cool details, including a second set of arms and a second set of legs that it could use when it needed to or wanted to. That you really rarely ever see, but yeah, it's it's more like sort of a, a manly Hulk. There's a lot more Iron Man crossover <laughs> here than we might think. I'll get to partly when we get to the end, but yeah, he's he's a bigger, bulkier machine. He's a little bit like an Ed 209, but even even more frightening than that. And um, I, I this is one of the funniest things. I wanted to bring this up. I've totally forgotten the moment, but I think this is hilarious. Um, during that second huge shootout, where Robo's there with all the cops to shoot at, where he eventually captures Kane at the end. There's there's a couple of snippets there, and it's one of those parts of the movie that I don't like because I find it ridiculous. During the course of the shootout, RoboCop is just taking all these funny poses, and like he keeps reaching out and like shooting a guy behind him, and he blah blah blah. He's he's got all these. You got to watch the scene. He does all these really really stupid action movie poses. Yeah, I know what you're talking right? about. Right. 360 no-scopes. Right? And I was always like, why would they do that? It's really stupid. It, it makes the scene laughable for that moment. It's like like the motorcycles.
0: Is it well, a TJ Laser thing?
2: Well, No, it's not. It, it's even funnier than that. So the guy I've been talking about, Paul Salmons, on set every day, when they were doing set up for that scene, he walked up to Peter Weller just to chit-chat. The two of them, they had nothing to do. They were bored. And he walks up to Peter and starts talking. One of the things he says to Peter is, You know, I really like it when Robo does these sort of samurai moves. And Peter was like, what samurai moves? What are you talking about? And Paul was like, well, you know, the kind of thing where he like shoots somebody out of the corner of his eye without really needing to look. And he can get three guys at once at an odd angle. He's like like a master samurai with his sword. Well, Peter apparently liked that comment, that compliment so much that he got up out of his chair and went marching up to Erwin Kirshner and said, I want more samurai moments and that's the way he phrased it right I think that's funnier than hell is just imagining him doing that and that's why that scene played out that way because Peter Weller thought it would be cool to have Robo do all these ridiculous he wanted samurai moments
1: I feel like every actor should tell their director I need more
2: samurai moments right it's like the best conversation ever I want more samurai moments Tom Cruise got a whole movie out of that comment. Oh my god, yeah. There's another person we mutually know who I'm going to send this video to because he loves defending that movie. There's a great video on YouTube. I don't remember which channel. If you Google or search YouTube, you'll find it. There's a guy who's a, a Japanese man. He's an expert in Japanese martial arts. Years worth of training using a sword. Not one of these macho badass dudes. Just a guy who does it because he loves it. And they, they show him clips from The Last Samurai and have him talk about whether or not it's realistic. And it's really funny to listen to him just tear into how stupid this fucking movie is.
0: It's called a Steve Validation exactly. video.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's a Steve <laughs> Validation video. SVV. Well, it's more important that we stroke Tom Cruise's ego. Right? Um, and then one other comment I wanted to pepper in because at this point Duffy's character is already dead. They, they kill Duffy off by, by basically just performing a vivisection on him, which is like a conscious autopsy. Um, they just, they just cut the shit out of him. And Kane makes Hobbs stand there and watch while they're doing it. And, uh, they cut this guy to pieces. It's really fucked up. But in the original script, it was even worse. They were originally going to leave various Duffy body parts in just places for cops to find. And it was going to be like an ongoing part of the movie that like, they didn't initially realize that that Kane's people had gotten duffy until they start finding his body parts and then eventually they find the core of his body and Ooh, that's yeah it morbid. right it would have been pretty pretty gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> man, if only we had expanded on
1: that and cut out the wife right? thing
2: for like 20 minutes. Oh man. Uh, yeah absolutely and in one of one of the early drafts and this is a funny thing to mention while we're talking about Kane's brain going to Robocop in one of the early drafts for some reason I don't know whose idea it was there were going to be two brains in that body They there was supposed to be part of the subplot where they thought that maybe they could balance Kane out with a second brain so they put two brains inside Robocop too but they don't get along with. The, excuse me they don't get along with each other and that idea I'm glad they didn't go with it's a bad idea that is bad yeah
0: <laughs> Josh do you think Angie really wanted to fuck Robo Kane.
1: Oh, totally. <laughs> She's Man. hot for that, dude. I
2: think she'd do anything to just not get murdered. <laughs> um,
1: do you know how many things that Robo Hand could do? <laughs>
2: or undo? In the scene where Kane finds her and kills her while he's killing everyone else uh, in there, almost everyone else, in the part where RoboCop 2 grabs her by the head, it's models, including her body. But then there's a, a cut to her dead body hitting the floor. And that's really her. They sort of dropped her from off frame and she didn't get hurt, but she was able to twist her head and neck in such, at such an extreme angle without hurting herself. She didn't, she didn't get injured Um for the sake of the scene that when they first dropped her, people on the crew actually thought that they'd broken her neck. <laughs> there was a moment where they thought they'd killed this actress on set and they were like, holy shit, what the fuck just happened? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> That's good acting. Right? That's good
2: acting. <laughs> <sighs> uh, one other thing I thought this is pretty awesome. As per normal, when you're working with something like this, the RoboCop 2 model, there were actually various models. Just like with Ed 209, some of them are as little as a couple inches. Some of them are way bigger than that, considerably bigger than that. They needed at least one one-to-one scale RoboCop 2 model for the film so that they could have it during scenes when a human actor needed to really be able to interact with it. So, the one-to-one scale RoboCop 2 armor model that they built was nine feet tall and weighed 800 pounds. Oh. And it was so massive that they couldn't come up with a remote-controlled motor system that could articulate and operate it properly. So, they had to do it old school puppet style where they attached rods to the back of the robot at different points and had puppeteers in black costumes hiding from the camera operating his movements using the rods. They didn't do that for every scene, but in the scenes where they needed the full size robot, that was the only way to do it.
0: I wonder if that still exists in like a film museum. Oh my God, shit. I
2: hope so. Some of that stuff gets destroyed. I know there are guys that have bits. That there's one dude. I don't think he's American. I think he's been Europe somewhere. There's one dude who's got almost the entire Nostromo set from the original Alien, literally inside his house. You just walk through the ship, you know. But a lot of that stuff gets destroyed over the years if somebody who loves it doesn't doesn't take it. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, we can kind of get to like the last act here. Uh, Hob, the kid, who's like the henchman villain, he dies, and you know whatever, The RoboCop, like, holds his hand or whatever the fuck while he's dying. <laughs> <laughs> but the big thing is that OCP unveils RoboCop 2, right? So they say, this is the OCP. new RoboCop. RoboCop 1 is an inferior product and movie. It's so weird that they keep
2: trying over... It shows you the, the core of the company, but, like, the is continually pitching these other machines that aren't RoboCop that are supposed to be better than RoboCop, but none of them ever function The only one of them that actually works right at all is RoboCop.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Josh, why don't you tell us about, like, some of this last act? I mean, it's basically RoboCop 1 v. RoboCop 2, right?
1: Man, this is... The best sequence in the entire film. So RoboCop shows up to uh, really bust up the party that OCP is having. It's revealed that, you know, Kane is pre- pretty addicted to nuke and is willing to, you know, shoot random reporters over it. There's a moment that I kind of really love where the old man shouts, behave
2: yourselves!" <laughs> yes, it's such a great moment behave yourselves
1: behave yourselves
2: I really feel like they
1: Kane should have just shot the old man at that point the old man doesn't really serve any story narrative purpose you could have had Johnson take over his last bit of dial it just seemed like a natural fit for that character if he would have just died at by his own product and mm. it's not like they bring him back in a third film if they ever made one which they didn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Steve, what are
0: some key moments for you in the in the big RoboCop fight?
2: Well, they they have this. It's really a rather long fight, especially considering how constrained their shooting schedule was and how much time and effort it takes to make scenes like this using models. It's incredible that there's as much of it as there is. It starts starts in the um, uh, the conference hall where they're having this big unveil, and um, the two of them end up in a in an elevator. Robo tries luring him into an elevator and then cutting the cable holding the elevator up so that it hits the the floor and that sort of disables RoboCop 2 for a moment but then he gets back up and the two of them have a fight in a in a basement level where uh RoboCop 2 uses a plasma cutter that uh, doesn't doesn't do as much damage as he wants to but he uh, does is able to cut RoboCop's facial armor and then Robo forces his hand onto a gas line that causes an explosion, and it ends up up on the street. And then Lewis hits him with a tactical van. Yeah, that's it's a good moment. Such a good moment. It is, and like then we get. There's also a moment when they're still in the basement level, where RoboCop Two has got RoboCop One by the leg and is basically swinging him around in the (laughs) pipes and walls and shit. This was almost entirely done with models. It looks amazing. I fucking love it. It is fantastic. So good. Right? It's several minutes mo- minutes of just the best modeling in the history of film, regardless of what you think of the rest of the movie.
1: The old man tells Johnson to uh, scramble the best
2: spend team. <laughs> this could look bad for OCP. But it's, it's so good. It's so fantastic to watch it all play out with the models. I really like it. I enjoy every minute of it. The, I, I'm going to tie the two of these together. There's a moment I forgot to mention a little while ago. While they're st- still transitioning Kane from his human body into the RoboCop 2 body, they perform surgery on him, they remove his brain, and then there's a scene where his brain, spinal cord, and eyes are being kept in a like a tank.
1: Yeah. Um, it's so that, such a 1980s moment for a is. 1990 movie.
2: I love it I love that moment I love that effect Speaking of props I'd like to own If I could own that tank With the brain eyes And spine in it I absolutely would I know people would hate it And that's totally fine with me I don't care who hates it Like I want it In my living room but um, got Kane's uh, <laughs> brainstem, stem right? Just chilling. It's such an incredible looking thing. There's a very similar effect in a movie. I don't know if either one of you's ever seen it. There's a movie called The uh, City of Lost Children. Yeah. And one of the characters is basically a brain being kept in a tank. Yeah. And which I also love. I want that tank also. There's some uh, good like set design and props in that movie. It's man. a beautiful movie. Yeah. yeah. They so they made they made the tank that that was being kept in, and they had to make the brain, spinal column, and eyes. And for some reason, they discovered that almost any water, even bottled stuff, that they put into the tank would degrade the model at a really quick rate to the point that it, it, like, they couldn't even necessarily get multiple shots with it. And somehow they found some kind of water from France that's so pure it wouldn't mess with the model, and they had to import gallons of it so they could keep that thing full for the for the three minutes it's actually on camera. Some
0: like low acidic like,
2: yeah. water or something? Something like that. Yeah, you'd think they would have been able to accomplish the same thing just treating local water in some kind of filtration facility, but I guess I guess not. <laughs> like the, Yeah. You're
1: to get water from Detroit, Michigan, really. Like, this this definitely isn't working. <laughs> no, this is no
2: good. <laughs> you know, the flint stuff's so poisonous people can't even shower in it. Which like, is actually sad. It is really sad. I feel bad for those people. Um but this plays out again, I'm gonna tie the two together now at the end where they eventually set it up so that Robo can get up on a, on a sort of rooftop and jump onto Kane's back.
0: He doesn't seem like the ty- type of hero that jumps normally, you know?
2: No, no. And you can tell trying to make that fight work where he's hanging on RoboCops 2's back was difficult for them stunt-wise and effects-wise. But it, it does mostly look really good. There are a couple of moments where it's a real person, but it's mostly models. And... Robo manages to get his gun out and angle it so that he fires into Kane's neck a few times. And the whole fight looks really incredible. And then it sort of culminates with Robo being able to open his head and remove his brain.
1: Pulls a fatality. Pulls a
2: fatality. And when when RoboCop 2 flings Robo off his back, Robo 1 manages to take the brain with him and then smashes it on the cement. That took a tremendous amount of work for them to make because they needed to make something that could hold up inside liquid without like dissolving or getting mushy that would also look real when he smashed it. It took them days to figure out how to make it properly and they ended up making the brain out of some kind of algae. But uh uh yeah, the whole thing was fantastic. But this is – if you remember the fight between Iron Man and, and Iron – was it Iron Monger? The end of the first one? I forget
0: what they called that guy. Yeah. Iron Monger. Iron
2: Monger. Yeah. Th- like this – that end of – the first Iron Man rips off several moments from Robocop, including the the brain removal. So – Well,
1: I, I want to – like, I feel like Iron Man 2 kind of ripped off this when they have the failed Justin Hammer uh,
2: Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm starting to see shades of it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that's going to go off topic here for a second. The one other thing that really pissed me off is not nearly enough usage of, of Rhodey. A war machine should have appeared way – this see was the two or three – where the two of them land and they do the circular shooting. shit. They've got all the, the other droids coming out. That shit was awesome. It was two. Yeah, that scene was fucking awesome. It was the best part of two. That scene was the best part of two.
0: I mean, it was no wonder it was like the big trailer moment. Yeah.
1: Fuck it, are man. you Are you telling me
2: you didn't want more of... Mickey
1: Mickey Rourke saying, I Ugh. want my birth.
2: No, yeah, that, that was a really bad choice. That was almost as bad a choice as casting Jamie Foxx as Electro and nowhere near oh. being as bad a choice as bringing Jamie Foxx back as Electro for this new movie. Oh. It's a bad idea. I'm sorry, Corey. It's a bad idea. It was bad it the is. first time. It's going to be bad this time.
1: It is. I, I, I agree with you, Steve. <laughs> What are these people smoking? Something Cigarettes? really powerful.
2: right? <laughs> Sony just wants to be Marvel so bad. It's yeah, I, it's sad. I can get down with them, like as a core concept, multiverse idea. Totally, I'm on board, but not like this. This is the wrong way. <laughs> not this like is this. the wrong <laughs> way.
1: You're going, through, going about it the wrong way. Right. Stop what you're doing. Yeah,
2: stop doing this now. Let's just start
0: over. Like, I mean, they they tried a similar. Thing with Ghostbusters, like their initial, i talked about it on the Ghostbusters 2016 pod, but they—they they really just were ch- trying to get a cinematic universe. They're gonna—they're t- gonna try to do a cinematic
1: universe at any angle they possibly can.
2: Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: It just like man, how's that dark uh, dark universe working out? <laughs> That's Universal, <sighs> yeah, them too. Yeah,
2: I know, but like, yeah, everybody's trying to do it. You're not wrong. I agree with you. The movies have not been good, but that one I'm really sore about. I mean that sincerely because Universal is famous for the monster movies it produced way back when. They own the largest back catalog of films of any studio on the planet. A modern, like sincerely done, but fun and dark, like rebooted universe featuring those characters could have been. So cool. Like Van Helsing, so- <laughs> the Wolfman, the creature from the Black Lagoon. They could have had such an awesome series of, of movies going, and just every single one that they did, they raped. Well, they fucked up everyone. The problem one of them.
0: is they're afraid to do horror movies with their horror movie icons.
2: Yeah. They well,
1: are. Well, Steve, yeah. I don't know if you uh listen to our mummy podcast, but at some point we are gonna reboot the dark, big, dumb movie podcast. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 well, and like I, li- I that, that was another one is like They decided retroactively that that the Brandon Fraser mummies weren't part of that universe and they were going to redo it with Tom Cruise. The whole thing's just so bad. (laughs) Van Helsing was horrible. God, that movie was horrible. (laughs) Anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, the way the movie ends, Steve, you talked about Robocop 1 meeting Robocop 2. Uh, The OCP executives just kind of like drive away and... I guess that they're planning to pin this all in Fax so that the old man and his higher-ups don't ever get in trouble.
2: Yeah, I was liking the way that worked for the first couple of minutes. So that basically everyone except Fax decides ultimately they're going to find some way to blame her for it. Yeah. but yeah, She's going to be the, the fall gal. The fall gal. The fall gal. But then, then two moments later, Jones, because he still wants an opportunity for sex with her or whatever he's getting. <laughs> two minutes later, he takes her away with him in his limo and it's like, yo... Everyone, including the press and a bunch of cops, just watched a machine. Your company built murder a bunch of people, and you're going to blame it on her. Do you really want to have yourself photographed getting into a limousine with her? He's got a commercial for her to watch. Right? It's a really good one. It's like, this just happened. It literally just happened. A bunch of people right now are laying dead in the street because of something you made. You're going to blame it on her, and you're going to let the press photograph you getting into a limo with her. Not not good PR. You you tell that bitch to get her own ride so that later on you can be like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with her.
0: Yeah, Steve, you should have been their PR person. Right. Steve, you can cover up all the OCP like PR. Yeah, they should have known better.
2: <laughs> the first thing the PR team would have told them in that instance is don't be seen with the person you're blaming for a mass murder.
1: Like... Steve is on the, the spin team. Right?
2: Uh, to that effect, real quick, uh, two small points. Uh, the OCP flags you see littered around the film during the movie are very reminiscent of um, Nazi flags from World oh, War II. Yeah.
1: Oh, I was going to point out their security officers are very yeah. SS-looking. With
2: the black uniforms? Absolutely, yes. And uh, even there's the moment where Dick is, not Dick, I keep going back to Jones, where the old man is uh, walking into the OCP building, and Lisa Gibbons' character asks, and the reporter asks him, Are you guys going to use City Hall? Why aren't you using City Hall as your base? And he says, because that's a a corrupt building, blah, blah, and we're doing it here. But if you look look at the front of the OCP building, they've got these long sort of hung rectangle-shaped OCP flags draped, and that's very reminiscent of the way the Nazi flags were draped at some of the speeches that Hitler gave, which is pretty crazy. But then also in addition to that, in every scene where you see Johnson and the old man walking together, and in the first movie too... They always have their hands positioned in the same way as each other, and they're always walking in lockstep with each other. And it's very much that, like, Johnson is clearly, like, the programmed successor. It's very obvious, like, he's doing things in the same way the old man would, you know? Mm. Uh, kind of a subtle touch.
0: That is nice. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do ratings pretty soon, but before that, Josh, do you have any final words about the movie? Anything you missed?
1: Uh, me...
2: Can I give you two more real quick funny ones while he's looking? Oh, go ahead. All right. uh, Real quick. The studio did, before finding Frank Miller, went, went to Alan Moore. I think an Alan Moore Robocop might have been really interesting. Not sure he's the right choice. But funnily enough, when Moore got the phone call about the idea, he apparently responded um by saying absolutely not and then hanging up. <laughs> Um, which I think is kind of funny. And lastly, um, we talked about how they redesigned the suit partly to make it easier to get Peter Weller in and out of it. They had a group of guys on the set who were called the Robo Team and their only job was to get him in and out of the costume.
0: It's like a like NASCAR squad. Like, right? right? They come and like they
2: – The way Peter Salmon describes it, they'd call in the Robo Team and Peter Weller would basically just lean up against the wall while people shoved pieces onto him. <laughs>
0: Well, that's RoboCop 2. Let's get into ratings. Josh, on any rating
1: scale you want, what are you going to give RoboCop 2? So I'm going to give RoboCop 2, so two 7.5 Frank Miller cameos out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's flawed but good. I think it tries to balance too many things. Nothing really gets. I want the movie to narrow its ideas and then narrow, uh, flesh those ideas out. They, like, never really explain, uh, where OCP got part of Stonehenge, which was weird to me. Are uh, we still talking about this? Is that another Halloween 3 reference? Yes! I can't <laughs> help it. Can't. Uh. So, other than that, uh, there's a few kooky ideas that I'm not overly fond of, like, uh, the Messiah Complex with Kane. Tom Noonan is fucking great, though. The Ripper yeah breath. absolutely I feel like Hob is a, a, an interesting idea but I feel like there were more deserving natural ideas that they should have focused on a little bit more before they jump to Robocop can't shoot a kid fair enough I'm gonna go next I'm gonna go with the grade
0: rating system which I don't use that often I'm gonna give this a B minus this is a movie that's better than I thought it would be, better than it has any right to be, it seems. No. A lot of people talk about Robocop 1, especially podcasters, movie reviewers. Not a lot of people talk about Robocop 2. I think the, the common belief is that the sequels are trash. This movie isn't trash. It's pretty good. Yeah. And it, it does it, it maintains some of the things that made the first one good. It doesn't necessarily execute them as well, but it still has them, and it's still an engaging movie. I don't know what three is going to bring. I have a feeling it's going to bring bad feelings and nightmares. Yep. But I think we're going to eventually do that one as well. That'll be a lot of fun someday. But for this one to be minus, it's it's good. I'm glad I watched it. Fun being a flexible term.
2: Oh, no. I mean, is it fun to put, like, acid in your eyes? Right. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you know, I like I like having teeth, but going to the dentist isn't all that fun. It's a trade-off.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Steve, what's your rating interview? Ooh, I'm going to give this movie... You know what? I'm going to sort of match Corey. I'm going to give this movie a 7.5 Dark Nights out of 10. It's flawed. There are some moments in it I don't like. It would have been a better movie if it hadn't had such a screwed-up production schedule, and it wouldn't have had such a screwed-up production schedule if Orion, unfortunately, hadn't been having financial problems at the time. I think there was a lot of untapped potential, but I think that despite all of the difficulty and Miller's misgivings and the director issues and the problems that the film does have, that overall, (laughs) they got more of it right than wrong. They may have gotten certain things more right than others, but I, I, I really feel like the film... Carries on a lot of the same sentiment and message that the first one did. I feel like they did a good job of getting to a lot of it. I liked Hobb. I'm going to disagree with Josh slightly, just in the sense that I I don't I really don't believe that he's there to bank on that RoboCop won't shoot a kid thing. I I think that he was a vestigial remnant of a, a an idea that was otherwise removed from the film, and that as a result of that, the character is kind of reduced to being the kid that Robocop won't shoot in some ways
1: ah yeah I gotcha you
2: know which is which is unfortunate um I think the big most unfortunate part of this movie is that it didn't get a more normal gestation which would have given them a chance to maybe not make some of these mistakes I I like to think that some of the stupider more slapstick moments that I dislike would would have disappeared as well but um yeah, not, not bad. It's definitely... It, it's probably not as good a movie as one in some ways, but overall, I find it really enjoyable. The effects and the model work really help as well. It's, I mean, it's one of the most enjoyable fight scenes between two sci-fi characters I've ever seen. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Very cool shit were going on in that ending bit of the movie.
2: Right. And I'd, lastly, just to put a fine point on it, totally agree with you. I, I think... This, this sequel gets shat on, and yeah, it's not perfect, and yeah, there are moments we can pick out, but yeah, overall, it's really, it's not, it wasn't a steaming pile of garbage. It was it was a mostly pretty good product that just had some issues.
0: It's not RoboCop 3. No. Uh, yeah, I think there's some subliminal conflation of this and RoboCop 3 that people yeah.
2: have. And this one's the most like a comic book, which I find really enjoyable. I think that's probably the most transparent or most apparent portion of Frank Miller's contribution to the way this film got made is that it really it plays and looks and reels, reads and feels a lot a lot like a comic it's almost more like a graphic novel than a, than a movie
0: fair enough mm-hmm. Josh where can people find you if they want to hear more of what you have to say about movies
1: uh, you can find me at my YouTube channel Review Inc or type uh, Review Do i I'm on a bit of a hiatus learn to spell Josh do what learn to spell d oh yeah right yeah i'm i'm bad at grammar come back to so, youtube already josh god damn it uh, yeah uh i'm i'm planning a probably anticlimactic uh triumph return yeah <laughs> so we'll see how that goes uh,
0: i have one request for you the listeners if you guys like what you hear Leave us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts and write a written review. It can be short. You can just write, I like this podcast. Give us five stars and leave it at that. We really haven't been getting many of those lately. And I would like your guys' participation to get some in. Please do that. Also, you can give this a thumbs up on YouTube. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram. All those things are great. But the thing I would really love for you to do is give us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts. specifically. Everybody,
2: everybody, everybody, tell me how much you like me.
0: You can just like borrow, <laughs> like your mom. You know, she has an iPhone. Be like, mom, let me use your phone for a second. I got to do a thing. Use her phone. Give us an Apple Podcast rating. Borrow your dad. You know, he's probably like drinking in borrow the in the house. garage or whatever, like passed out. Just go grab you his phone. Pull him you away notice. from
2: the bottle first. Oh wow, your dad's do that too.
0: <laughs> he's gonna leave the house soon. You know, he's probably gonna leave you and your mom alone. Just. Just get it while you still can. I don't, I know things are tough. It's
2: when picking up cigarettes takes like two weeks, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we know you have rough home lives, right? <laughs> All right. If this is
1: more important.
0: <laughs> All right, enough of that nonsense. I want to thank you guys for listening. It's been a very fun episode. This was a fan request. We do take fan requests. We do turn them into episodes. So send us some. movie at gmail.com. Thank you very much. We love you. Good night. Stay out of trouble. Now, guys, I'm going to do the part where I bring us in. But first, I'm going to say let's take a bathroom break. Because this is going to be long, I think. Yeah. So I'm going to take a bathroom break. Josh, if you want to take one, now's the time. I'll be right back.
1: All right. (laughs) right. so the star wars prequels huh
2: <laughs> what about them <laughs>
1: prequels holy shit dude uh, I, hayden christensen is so
2: uh, fucking awful he is he's terrible even natalie portman managed to somehow not be very good in those movies
1: dude nobody's good in those movies <laughs> like um uh, ewan mcgregor yeah. is such a fucking awesome actor and he's just so
2: awful yeah, and I, I feel the same way and everyone's got this mega hard on for for him as Obi-Wan and like I get it and he does sort of a good Alec Guinness uh, impression but I just I, I don't understand why there's such a massive love fest for that performance go
1: right out? yeah the, the oh, uh, no uh, I hate the revenge of the Sith argument that oh it's the best of the three you know like right. it's, that doesn't
2: say shit yeah it, oh, great it was marginally better than the others the, because it banked on, on Anakin killing a bunch of small children.
1: Like,
2: <laughs> I'm gonna make this one darker and kill some kids.
1: Oh man. Oh fuck, there's so many goddamn things wrong with those movies. <laughs> Do you think there's any credence to the the fact that Jar Jar was gonna be a Sith Lord equivalent to Yoda, oh. but
2: they uh George Lucas got scared? It's my most favorite funny fan theory, but no, I don't think it's real. I mean, oh, man. There's yeah. some pretty great YouTube videos to, about it, but. I want to believe, man. I, I was joking with Corey via text a, a week ago or whatever that I have this terrible feeling, not really, but that like Lucas will eventually mount a buyout of Disney and he'll start redoing the movies even more and that like Jar Jar's relatives will appear in the OT films. Like, it's going to be terrible.
1: <laughs> I heard <laughs> a theory or a rumor that Jar Jar was, is going to show up in the Mandalorian or something like God that. God damn it's it. Like, I hope not. And he was going to be all, like, super, like... He was going to have a beard and be all sad and mopey. Excuse me, but the most safest place would be Gonga City.
0: It's where I grew up. It's a hidden city.